Hey guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Cranky Mike. <laughs> and welcome back to this week's No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. <laughs> What's up your bum this week, Mike? <laughs> well, I had a great time recording with you and Tyler Boer, great friend, great friend of the pod. It's always a blast, but unfortunately, this week's content isn't sitting all that well with me. It's not my favorite book in the series, so... I hate to be come off as a little crusty about the devil's hand, but every once in a while, there's one that's just not your favorite, and so you guys got to bear with me today and and some of my critiques. Yeah, I mean, every series is going to have one where people don't vibe with it, and this just happens to be your one. I mean, again, I didn't, you'll see at the end of the novel, not to spoil it, but, you know, it wasn't my favorite, but, you know, you got you to gotta find the things that you liked in it, talk about those, and then, again, if we really, really didn't like this book, we would just wouldn't would have never covered it. <laughs> right. So um it's not that bad. You know, I've read worse right. books. So but And our scores in the end were not all that bad. We found the hot no. the highlights, the positives, and we shouted them out. So yeah, I, you're right. You're right. And I will say that one thing that was not negative was we had an awesome conversation with Tyler. Always a pleasure to have him on the pod. To discuss all things Jack Carr. So he's become a resident Jack Carr specialist, gun specialist, car specialist. So love to have him on. Definitely have to have him back for Only the Dead. Hey guys, welcome back to No Limits, the Thriller Podcast. And we are joined again by Tyler Boer. We might as well just call it the Jack Carr podcast at this point. <laughs> what, what do you think? <laughs> Works for me. Anytime we do some Jack Carr content, I'm in. We'll, we'll call it No Limits featuring Tyler Boer. You know, <laughs> that, that, it'll have like, we'll have our own special little, um, Michael have to make a little image for it. Yes. You know, maybe put your face right in the middle and in, in between the gunshots. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm, I'm down. It's fine. I mean, what is this? The third series we've covered in full on the pod because we got mitch rap chris howdy and the Haley chill books i think this is the third one we're gonna have done in full until only the dead until only the dead yeah yeah actually tyler let's get your take on that you were one of the first to share with me the only the dead cover what'd you think yeah. about that drop i have missed i have mixed feelings uh, i like the themes that they have been going with up to that one okay if you look at the cover for that um i don't know I've, I've heard mixed things that like, I kind of agree with both ways where it, it kind of gives you, it, it makes, it makes me wonder what's going to happen in the book because I don't think we've, other than terminal list, we really haven't had a boat centric story at all with that's related to the water. So I'm very curious of why there's a gigantic yacht on the cover. And then also super curious why the Winkler is in the water. Yes. And it's just much more colorful than the, than the two, color choices of like the rest of the covers but i kind of like one through five covers and how abstract they are um you know savage suns is the coolest one i think for hardback like the original covers just it's like that uh yeah. bronze yellow and black but um yeah it's it's definitely different i heard a couple people say it looks like a romance novel cover <laughs> i think it just has a i think it just has a little too much going on i think it's definitely going to be one of the ones when we later on can compare like the softback releases in the other country covers i think we'll pick something other than the one that we've seen because it, it's okay 
I think I know what you mean by the the romance. I think like the the something about the boat and the waves. Yeah, are like the way they're rendered. It's very realistic, like popping out. Yeah, um, I like that the Winkler is on the cover. I think maybe like that should have been like maybe a centerpiece instead of the boat. But so me, me and Mike had a discussion about like these mountains, the background, yeah. Like yeah. Two, the background, and like those don't look like the mountains that would be next to water. They look more like you know. Yeah. Grand Canyon Mountains. It's like they it's like they took a handful of the settings and important things in the book and like threw them up onto a page. Yeah, and do you agree that like almost the guy's shoulders look like an even bigger mountain in the background? <laughs> yeah, it's uh I don't know. I just think it has too much going on. Like even yeah. if you look at the cover for Devil's Hand, like it's a dude kneeling and all you can see really is like the reflection of his arms and his face, and he's in the woods. And everything else is dark blue. There's like very little to decipher. It's simple. Sometimes simpler is, is better. All this might start a trend for the evening boys, which is I'll be the odd man out. <laughs> because <laughs> I'm pretty high on it. I'll agree with you. My first reaction was, whoa, these colors are different. And very different. something about it is it almost cartoonish when you first glance at it. Yeah. And so while I did feel that way. I really came around to it. I I really love the layout. I think it's super cool. Maybe one of my favorite of the original covers. Cool. In in the series. So, uh, yeah. Between that opinion being a little out of the ordinary and my opinion on the devil's hand, I'm probably going to (laughs) take a back seat today on this book and uh, let you guys run the show a little bit. And hopefully, hopefully your discussions will uh, bring me up a little bit by the time we get to the scorecard. I'm really hoping you can, uh, Give me a little boost here with uh, with this book. Yeah. Um, as far as like the cover goes, I, I know last time we talked about that first blood uh, cover that I like. That's super simple with with John Rambo running away and like it has the words huge and blood is in like the bright red. I like simple stuff like that. Sometimes it works the best. So to start it off, Chris, what do you think about our prologue? Well, yeah, I was going to say like I really enjoyed the beginning of this book. You know, I, I think I'm super high on probably the first uh, two thirds of the novel and the ending kind of kind of trails off. And we can get into that. Why, you know, what what I think and, you know, where the story kind of breaks down. But, you know, it's a typical, you know, mystery, like, a you know, mystery box novel. It's like, all right, we have this. You know, we're, we're jumping from place to place and we don't know how everything is going to going to connect. And you're, you're wanting to turn the page because you want to find out, all right, what, what's what's happening, what's going on. But, yeah, you know, just starting off with this, you know, 9-11 and because I've, you know, again, I reread these books out of order. So I've already met this president and remind me, I guess we should say spoiler alerts. Doesn't this president die in, in the blood? Yeah. Um, well, well so, the ending of it. The epilogue. Yeah, very, in, in the epilogue. epilogue. And what I was going to ask is I couldn't recall if he died or if they said the president's been shot and that James Reese is under arrest. But now that I'm thinking about it, he uses the um, like he gets killed the way Reese. Sorry, the guy's name's escaping me in the first book. He was in the in the armored the vehicle. EFP. Yes. The the, the, uh, Hartley, the pen- Senator Hartley. Yes. So the way Reese did that, that's how the president is killed and so they arrest Reese at the end of the book. You don't know why. Right. I'm I'm guessing he he's being framed at some point for it. And that's that's interesting because in True Believer, 
they framed Mo for using the same sort of bomb attack. I think it was a car bomb from a drone. Right. Yeah. And that's the way they framed his friend Mo. And it seems seems somebody has the same intention to frame him with the president. Although we just get that dropped at the in the epilogue. So yeah, we honestly don't even know what happened or if this is true or not. But we do know they're taking Reese for it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, you know, obviously jumping ahead two books, but when we we're now oh, I'm meeting this president for the first time. I'm like, who is this guy? What's going on? And then I realized that, oh, we're we're back September 11th, you know, 2001. Like it just I remember that day very vividly. You know, I, I was young. I was in sixth grade, but like, I'll always remember where I was. And I, this, this is not, I shouldn't be laughing, but I just remember my friend who for some reason had a vendetta against Canadians. I remember him running down the hall screaming, oh, no. the Canadians did it. No, the Canadians no. did it. And I, I don't, for some reason that just sticks out in my, in my mind. And I remember, you know, like being plucked out of class and it's a very like visceral experience every time like you see something. You know, going like this during COVID, I went back and rewatched Friends, right? And so, so many scenes where they cut to New York and you see those those towers. So it was just a very powerful opening preface and placing us dead center in the middle. And then when we cut back later on in the novel, when we meet the president for for real, now he is the president. We get his backstory and his rise. And then we find out like what happened after that scene you know he went back in to try to save people he lost his fiance it's pretty powerful i, I don't know i i really enjoyed his backstory uh learning about him it made me like him i, I feel like i really i really liked this president and it, then when i think about that oh shit he's gone like after two books like that kind of sucks but um actually just just the very next one just yeah. in, in the blood yeah he's he's done at the end of that we don't get a lot of time with presidents, period, in the Reese series. No, we don't. We don't. Maybe that's just a thing that that Jack likes to do, you know, because he ha- obviously does has a problem with the establishment. So. I I like this one because like his background, like you were saying, and I like how he ended up winning the presidency and his views on certain things. Jack just makes this president very likable on purpose, where he he really like he says that he won because he catered to both sides. So it's it'd be very hard for anybody to read this book. Um, and dislike that character. There's just stuff that I really like. I like how he how he like has him speak to James. I really like all of the Camp David stuff. Once we get to that, um, I really enjoy all the Camp David stuff in this in this book. I think the Camp David conversation saved the prologue for me. I I almost I was unsure how I felt when reading this book when it came out, and then rereading it again tonight or this week, I was almost sure uh, unsure how I responded to the 9-11 stuff. Like Chris, very personal me, personal to me, and it is to everyone. Yeah. And I, I just... I was in second grade. Wow. Okay. Oh, we thought we were young, Chris. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're, you're the baby of the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Mike's from New York, so... Yeah, and I was in New York, not too close. I was on Long Island, but a lot of people in my middle school where I was uh, were affected, being pulled out of class, parents working in the towers, and it, but that's not really it. It's it's more if you're going to put it into a novel, I think there's a lot that has to go with that. I think I think it's done appropriately. It's done reverently for sure, you know. Yeah. And 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 it hits all those check marks. I just don't know if I was ready to read a fiction story around it. And th- maybe what bothers me the most is the president's too perfect. Mm. That's what I like about James Reese is he's so imperfect. And 
it just to me, while you're right, Tyler, no one can dislike this president as a man due to his backstory. I have to say, I think I dislike him as a character in a thriller verse in the sense of he's almost too perfect. He's a catch all, you know, just going to write the checks, write off anything you need. Yeah. And it's it's almost going to make anything that he wants done a little too easy to digest, where sometimes what I like about a thriller is the complexities of the good versus evil. And here it's just like, go hunt terrorists who started 9-11, rah, 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 rah. Great. Like everyone should get behind that. Yeah. But does it make a compelling story with nuance? And I don't think the nuance ever comes out. Did you buy the revenge plotline though? The fact that like he literally only became president to be able to read some files about like who killed his fiance. Yeah. You didn't buy that? I think American politics, I think the presidency shouldn't be reduced to that. So while some people can be like, rah, rah, it's a cool book. To me, that's not that's it's it's a too simplified version of the executive branch, and I I just want something that's dealt with a little more nuance, if you will. I don't know if I'm expressing myself well. And then on top of that, I get bogged down with all the backstories. He was just one of many backstories. So even if yeah. you were jiving with his, the next seven or eight chapters, you're getting another twenty, thirty, fifty pages. You know, sometimes per person yeah. of their backstory. Yeah, so, there's there's quite yeah. a few. This this book again for me is easy to imagine as as something on film because each chapter really just sticks with a couple characters in a certain setting and doesn't jump. Like when it jumps, you're in the next chapter. So it's like whenever we meet the 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 next set of bad guys, they're at like that speakeasy, and it stays there for that. That's a long chapter actually when we're introduced to them and get their backgrounds and how they speak to each other and everything. The senator and the the, the military guy. Yeah. Yeah. And in the in the prologue, I like how at first, like you're with this character, you realize I don't I can't recall if they tell you it's 2001, but it's definitely not current. And uh, you, you, they don't tell you, but you get it because like texting is new. And like, yeah, texting you know, right, is new. And then, stuff. yeah, you, you don't quite realize that they're in New York uh, until until it happens. And so like right. it's kind of like a bit of a shock, which I like. I think if they would have said like. A Tuesday morning in September in 2001 and. I think that would have like taken away like some of the build up and suspense. The reveal. Yeah, yeah, the reveal I think really is served well by the surprise almost that that it's 9/11. But yeah, I think I I agree a little bit with Mike about the president being too perfect and he doesn't quite belong in like a thriller verse, but the good news is he he does he's only around for two books. So, well, and now that Mike brought that up, it kind of makes sense as to why he's you know I guess why Jack thought he's, he's so easy to get rid of because, you know, you can obviously tell throughout this entire thriller novel what Jack's mindset was during writing this, right? You know, COVID's happening. Everything that happened post George Floyd is happening. Yeah. You know, all, that's, those are two major influences that he injects into the story, into this thing. So he created this ideal. I don't want to piss off people, but sort of the antithesis of what, you know, the current president at the time could have been even an antithesis of what our current president is right now, you know, sort yeah. of stripping down and, and getting away from two old imperfect men to like someone who is young, I, an ideal yeah. candidate that can, again, play the both sides of the party. Maybe I don't want to, this would be an interesting question to ask Jack is why he recreated, you know, why did he make him a Democrat? Why did he, why did he make him, you know, this guy from California, you know, like, what was his mind thinking in the creation of this character? If he even thought about that kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it, it was a balance between wanting to be so super real 
Because just look at all the research Jack put in and then the author's note at the end and even the author's note in the beginning, uh, which are always slam dunks from Jack. Yeah. His books are obviously real, well-researched and things about like the Marburg variant were real and in so many other parts of this were so real. And then to basically have a cartoon of a president who feels so unreal and I, I, I can't see anything about him and his backstory being honest to, to the real world. I was caught between these two worlds of some of the drama seems really real, but some of the characters seem cartoonish. Yeah. For me, he's cartoonish until you get to Camp David and he talks to, to James. And I think I'm with Chris, too, on this, that I like that man had a goal and was driven basically to get his revenge. And we know what that feels like in this series because of James. Yeah, he wants right. to get revenge his way, which is this. He's he playing, he's playing well. the long game. He's playing the long game, whereas James did not. James was action right now, revenge like tomorrow. And this this guy's playing the long game to get to get his revenge back. So yep. that's why I, that's where I kind of like him. But I definitely get what you're saying when you say like, you know, he's a little unbelievable and too perfect and he doesn't quite belong. And I liked during, especially during that Camp David scene where he, he drills down the point, you know, he has framed that like whatever Congress passed. Yeah. You know, essentially like giving, you know, and he, he, Ray Porter, and obviously it's written this way. Ray Porter has to read that line like four times in that chapter and sort of drive it home. And then it's like, that's never really brought up again. I think at one point Vic Rodriguez says the president's assassinating American citizens on foreign soil. Like, but you know, we've we've set this precedent obviously he thinks he's acting the parameters of the law and i liked how like it framed it in real life all right circumstances you know james you can do this because of this but then i I felt like that was never like followed up on again it's one of the the ending like loose ends that i i I didn't quite you know jive with mike on your your points of research you know as a scientist myself i'm not a virologist i'm not a epidemiologist but you know, I, I know science and I thought like it was, it was pretty viable, you know, pretty believable. I've read of a lot of novels where they do not get this right. The, the, I guess we can get into like my, you know, Chris's science quarter later, science quarter, <laughs> quarter I, I later I do want to ask you about but, the virus stuff because there's one glaring, glaring inconsistency that if, if I can't get a, an answer from you guys on it, it's really going to tank the book for me. So I, we, I do want to get to the virus for later. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I was just going to say on the executive order, I actually looked it up and executive order 12333 part two, paragraph 13 in real life was the prohibition on assassination. And all of that text was real. And speaking of how it's not really followed up on, it's a shame because there was one nugget of it that I really liked. I, I forget if they went into the actual bunker or if they were just in the situation room, but he has his whole like security council. And they're all talking in the White House about the four points of an assassination that will mark the criteria and make it they're legit. They're in the bunker, yeah. Yeah, they are in the bunker at that point. And so it has to be an enemy combatant with evidence of being an enemy combatant. Arrest is not a feasible course of action. There's been a collateral damage assessment. And there's an investigation after the fact to produce evidence that there was no collateral damage in the hit. I feel like all that is super highly realistic and how that yeah. conversation goes down is awesome. But it's only one little and it's one of the shorter chapters. And so with all these long chapters on backstory and then short chapters about really cool stuff like that, I just feel like it was unbalanced. Yeah. 
What did you guys think of the different... I felt like this was a little bit different style, going long chapter, a couple short, long chapter. Yeah. I, I felt like we haven't had that from Jack yet. It's either been... You know, I felt like Terminal and True Believer were just like consistently, you know, length chapters until we get to the end where typical most of these thrillers tend to go fast at the end until we get to the prologue, right? Or the epilogue. But this was a little bit different. I uh, I, I liked it. I especially like some of the longer ones with the, the bad guys a little bit. The, uh, you know, the politician and the, and the ex-military guy with the private force. I don't I don't know why. So like those are the bad guys that they aren't really relatable, but they, they make good bad guys. And then, you know, our terrorist bad guys, what I really like about this book is he makes nothing about the terrorist villains, likable or relatable. They are there to, to basically just be extinguished. And, you know, um, there's like some stuff about the Zharkovs that, you kind of like just because they make good villains. Whereas these bad guys, you know, you literally just want to see their lights get put out. But something else I liked about camp David is he talks about the Munich massacre from 1972 at the Olympics. And he brings up Mossad, right? How Mossad assassinated a ton of people. Yeah. And, um, which I think is important for in the blood because it focuses heavily on Mossad. Well, that goes with the opening quote because this whole book, you know how each one of Jack's books has like that one line theme that he sticks to? Yeah. Like Savage Son was the dark side of man through the dynamic of Hunter and Hunted. Yes. I feel like here his opening quote, which comes from the Talmud and Jewish studies and was used as the basis for the Israeli assassination program, the state run assassination program after the events of the Eunuch massacre. And this quote is the title of Ronan Bergman's Rise and Kill First, a book all about the, the start of Israel state sponsored assassinations. It's quote, if someone comes to kill you, rise up and kill him first. And the book is called Rise and Kill First, how that's the only way Israel could defend it itself. I feel like this president and Reese are responding to that because we didn't rise and kill first. Yeah, they did the terrorist. And so this is like our response to do we need a program like that? Uh, you know, should we debate that in the public sphere? And did the Israelis know something about how they had to protect their national interest? So I like this idea of rise and kill first as a theme for this book. And when you don't rise and kill first, but the enemy has been planning and doing that, how do you respond? Yeah. Right. And another another theme carryover is like the the prologue and the, the author's note from True Believer, how the enemy has been learning and just witnessing and, and watching right. us. Right. And um they he I think he actually might repeat it, not not word for word in here, but he talks about how you know, they're, they're trying to find a way to cripple us from the inside and that they've just been watching us. So like it even brings over some of those themes from true believer for, you know, the, the group, the group of bad guys that are, that are creating the virus. So they've been waiting for 20 years and just watching us. And, you know, even, even here, like the, the one guy at the end, right. Where, um, the guy who was in Maine who who recessed to interrogate or, you know, pretends to almost give the, the virus to the guy said, like, I wanted to call this attack off because we saw that you guys could just do it yourself. And like, yeah. so yeah, def- definitely carry over from true believer. Yeah. So, um, I can't remember if it's before or after camp David, but something else that sticks out in my mind is whenever they give you a little bit of a backstory on a, on a terrorist that has been indoctrined into a cell and they tell him that he needs to take the uh, inhaler gas and spread it in the market. And he has like pills that are going to protect him and it's only going to infect the Jews. And, 
obviously he he dies like a fool. So um, I can't recall if that's before or after, but that's just a good example of just how deceiving and deceitful they are, even to their own to their recru- own, yeah. recruits, basically. And that was the test case, right, in Angola? Yeah, that was early on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess, like you know, we're having this. It's to bring us back to the plot a little bit. We get the prologue. We jump to you know seeing James again. Then we're jumping all around to these different stuff that's happening in Africa um, and Angola, right? And then we're moving around with this very the the, the one scientist, right, um, from Biodyne. As he's going going around, goes to Colorado to meet with um, the grad student. I again, I, I I thought this whole part of the book was pretty engaging. I, I was intrigued by by the storyline, by the plot line. I one thing that you you had mentioned when I read that line that it will only it only kill the Jews. I was like, I guess because I'm I was thinking about Brad Thor, Mike. Brad Thor, yep, I was going to say the same. How they had you know the disease that wasn't, wasn't going to kill Muslims because the Muslims were going to drink this antidote water. And I was like, Oh no, I hope we're not going down like some, <laughs> something like that again. Yeah, it was just a ruse. Yeah. Thankfully we weren't, but uh, yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that. It's not like that. Something else I enjoyed from the beginning of the book before we move on to the, to, you know, the, the middle section is uh, Reese getting, um, oh, interrogation. To go through, like the interrogation tests and, and uh, the polygraph. Yeah. The polygraph Dude, was awesome. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I like that stuff. There's so many scenes coming that we haven't even talked, but that one stands out. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and and it's also serving two purposes. It's chapter one. So we went through this prologue where some people like me were like, okay, well, where's Reese? And where's the Hastings? And that's how I feel with every prologue. Every prologue, I'm like, I'm like, all right, I want to get back to what I like. And then like right. halfway through the book, I'm like, okay, I want actually more of the prologue because it was awesome. Yeah. So even if you're one of those people like us who's trying to get through this prologue, and then boom, when the when the polygraph hits and it's recounting all of going back to the terminal list. Yeah, he's literally there answering the questions, thinking every single kill from terminal list up through Savage Sun. It all is a flashback in his mind. So I thought that scene was written well. It got us caught up as the reader. If you didn't read the other books, yeah. first off, what's wrong with you? But two, <laughs> it, it, it gives you the coolest highlights and the most badass snapshots of them in a way you know who Reese is. And you, we even see Vic Rodriguez going through the results and it's like false negative or, or whatever or, yeah. or true possible confirmed. deception. Yeah, possible yeah, deception. Possible yeah, deception. Yeah. So, you know, you know, yeah. when he's Tr- lying or conclusive or yes. deception indicated. Yeah. And then Vic it, signs it, it anyway. It's fantastic. It's a really cool way to you know, have a, um, you know, a catch up the reader chapter or yeah, a catch up I, the reader paragraph. Like it's, it's an inventive way that I, I haven't seen before to like, you know, you have to, I mean, obviously it's, it's then sprinkled out a little bit throughout the rest of the novel, but getting it right in the first chapter is a cool way to, to bring people up to speed. Uh, yeah. And I definitely enjoyed that chapter, especially the way listening to it on audiobook, the way Ray Porter reads that was, was, was pretty perfect. So it might be my favorite chapter in the book. <laughs> oh, chapter geez. one and then it goes downhill <laughs> it, it, it just might be it's all downhill from there from like yeah. so it's i was all... pretty intrigued by chapter four though like with the Fort dietrich scene sure one because you know i've been to Fort dietrich and like i actually applied before i got my first job to work in Fort dietrich just as a as a master student in in their lab mainly because i knew one of the people i was with in college her dad is a in the mil- like 
kind of like what that guy with the I forget his name, but essentially does what he does. And he doesn't say he doesn't say that, but I'm assuming yeah. that that's what that's what he does. You know, and the fact that there's this hidden, you know, and he gets it right again to this research with the science. Like I was I was waiting for him to say there's something above level four, level five, which is, is not real. Like it's just, yeah. it is level four. And like, but he, he's right. Like people think that, you know, you sort of progress through these progressions. And he, he had all his research right in terms of like what bio level safety four is, what you have to do when you go into a BSL four lab. You know, it was to a T. He definitely did it, did his research with that. But then the fact that there's this hidden compartment where they go do, you know, essentially on what is called it's a terminology used in genetics to where you weapon uh, gain a function mutation, essentially gain a function mutational research in order to weaponize these things, not to fight against it, but to actually use them. Yeah. Um, and you know, the president points it out. The fact that, do you think, do you believe in the deep state race? He, he says, and he's like, in redeemed. It's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, the deep state is real, but not in the sense that you think like there is a deep state, but it's just, it's hiding and it is in plain sight. You're seeing it play out. It's not like this group of a secret cabal of people at a pizza parlor. It's, a, it's actually, you know, tech companies, Purdue Pharma, right. you know, politicians, lobbyists, whatnot, that yeah. that is what is controlling the masses. And also in the sense that You'd be lying to yourself if you didn't believe that we every country that has the capability to do this stuff is actually working, you know, on it. Whether or not they're actually using it to study it for weaponization, they're definitely studying it, you know, just for research sake, you know, in in, in case we need to develop yeah. vaccines for our military, develop vaccines for, you know, and then he was right that both Fort Detrick. And Colorado uh, and um, the CDC center in Atlanta, those are the two BSL-4 labs that contain, like have every single infectious disease, you know, they have a SARS, they have, you know, yeah. MERS, they, they even probably have polio there, you know, so. Two thumbs up from the doctor of the pod is what <laughs> I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, in early on, and then, then we sort of delve into science, more science fiction later yeah. on. Which uh, the only, last two things I wanted to say for this section of the book was I really liked at Camp David whenever the president asks James, why do you think I picked you for this? And he figured he realizes he because I've done this before, he he did a list himself before. And so that's the answer why I just like how the lines delivered, especially when Ray Porter reads it. And then the other thing I wanted to say was uh, Jack was researching this topic before COVID hit. Right. And. Like this was all already going to happen. And then plus on top of that, all the George Floyd stuff is, is threaded in. But this topic was not selected because of COVID. It just happened to happen like that. And um, he was saying like he needs to watch what he writes about because like the Ukraine and Russia of war was in true believer, you know, or at least talked about or discussed in that book and stuff like that keeps happening. And he, he keeps saying that he needs to watch what he writes about. So I thought just thought that was funny. Yeah, and Ty, since you haven't gotten into it, the same happened with Kyle Mills and his Mitch Rapp series. Oh, yeah. I think it was, when did Lethal Agent come out, Chris? Wasn't it just like six months or so before COVID? Wasn't it? Yeah, it came out September of 2019. 2019. Oh, geez. Yeah. And it was all about a SARS-like virus. virus. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow. And everything about it, was, it was uncanny. It was so close to what COVID was. 
And so most people who first picked up that book were reading it either just month prior to March 2020 or even Chris, I think you picked it up, you know, right when the pandemic started It was the first time you read it. Exactly. So that same thing happened of like, it's too close to home and you were already deep into the research and uh, you're writing a book quite literally about what happens. Yeah. Well, and then Kyle had a series of where, you know, he did that. And the next one was total power talking about the lack of our infrastructure. And then since that book has come out, we've had multiple attacks on, you know, the Texas grid went out highlighting yep. how it's, you know, vulnerable. And then we have, you know, most recent this year attacks on you know, places in North Carolina, South Carolina. Yeah. No, these, these authors need to stop writing things because they, they're Nostradamus. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Can we get into the virus for a second? Because Chris, you gave us some really, really good backstory and I'm glad we've got a subject matter expert here. I, I okay. think though my critiques here, <laughs> and, and I won't do too much on it, but I think my critiques here are more plot related than they are scientific. You know, sure, I can forgive an author whose research is really, really good, but there's one thing they have to make up, you know, that's not true for the sake of the story. You know, sure, you know, that's fine. To me, the whole thing with Haley, and so we're at the part of the story, and maybe this comes a little later, but basically the eradication plan is in play. And, and I want to get your take on this too, guys. Of Do you think we have plans on standby that if a possible virus or disease that can threaten, and the scientific community agrees, can threaten up to 90% of our population, if we can contain it with military force, to one city or a couple of cities, do you think the nuclear options on the table? And I know these are fuel air bombs, so it's not nuclear, but it's not nuclear. No, you no, know, it's it's the the biggest non nuclear weapon in our arsenal. Do you think eradication plans are in place? Before I give my other critique, I do want to get your take on the: Will we blow up our own cities if necessary to save the greater good, if you will, to keep the country going? And does the government have plans to do that? Jack says at the end he'd be surprised if we don't. He doesn't have evidence that we do have these plans, but he does say knowing what he knows and the people he's talking to, he would be surprised if we don't. Uh, just what's your general take on that? So, again, I, I think like if you you'd be naive to think that we didn't have like there's a difference between having a plan to do something and actually doing something. So do I think we have a plan for this? Sure. Do I think we would ever use it? I don't know. Do you think people in like 1945 ever thought that we were going to, we would drop a nuclear bomb on another country? Yeah. So I, you know, I, I think people in Japan would say, yeah, sure. <laughs> we probably would. You know, I think it has to get really bad to me. I, and again, I, I guess we can dig into my, my, um, it's sort of related to my problem with the science here is that, the people at the CDC were, are now, they're not investigating. There's, there's this one sole person who happens to have teamed up with James Reese, who she has this theory, or she, you know, she obviously understands what R not is and can see that it's, it's growing way too fast. Like, right. no, that's, that's not how it works. All right. Yes, there is the CDC, but there are the CDC then it happened during COVID, right? Everyone started working on COVID-19. Right. Like we all, you know, I, I even like had a little side project where like using my little expertise, like, can I, can I in somehow, you know, affect this? So if something like this was to happen, every single, you know, professor, grad student, 
whatever that's willing to, or, you know, everyone of the NIH is going to transition into doing something to study this virus. And there's a lot of epidemiologists out there that would see that the R not something is not right with this R not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these people are very good at what they do. And so there wouldn't be this one person who's like trying to sound the alarm and she would have been exactly. su- shut down because it makes sense. Her, her conclusions are perfect in the sense that, all right, we know, we know how things, and I guess, you know, you can argue, well, it could be something new. We, you know, we've never seen before, but that's where his plot, Ali's plot sort of unravels in the sense that because he didn't do it correctly and like move around in, in a certain way in, in a certain path to sort of slowly progress this disease jumping around from what he goes from Colorado to Texas, then to Atlanta yeah, without like having the connections. Yeah. So there would be other people that would fight against this. And the fact that if there's any question that it, whether or not it is or isn't respiratory, then I, I think. There's my big question. Wouldn't this be put to rest? I feel like we go from zero to 60 in in seconds that the president is going to essentially nuke our own cities or wipe out our own cities to contain this thing. And we're acting as if the entire scientific apparatus you explained has concluded that this is a respiratory disease, that it spreads like COVID did, but with a much higher death rate. And it's just kind of written as if we can accept that that happened. And then there's this one lone wolf who happens to be friends with Katie, who happened was meeting with them for dinner, who says, I don't think it spreads respiratorily. Well, dude, just look at the evidence. Like it wouldn't scientists, Chris, like yourself, have just baseline data of where this has spread to the rates at which it has spread, the number of infected. And automatically, wouldn't even people in just a hospital on the floor already know whether it spreads that way or not? Yet there's this one lone ranger going out there to save the day. And the rest of the scientific community and all these research institutions are just idiots who don't see it. Like, I don't know if I could buy that. Yeah, that's what I meant earlier before we started recording where I said, like, things are too convenient and too um, just well placed to where I think that's maybe my biggest hang up with with this. Like, I can. I I can suspend my disbelief for how quick they go from like this is just a virus that we need to contain to this is a virus that we need to start destroying cities to prevent the spread. Like you have to suspend like suspend your disbelief for just for just that topic and then like you can be along for the rest of the ride. But I really think um one of my favorite characters in this book actually is the doctor um, yes. in the hospital. I really Great. like his point of view. I like how he's written. I like what he does. I like when he realizes what's going on and what he, his, his actions and stuff. And pretty much it's too late for him. And yep. I like, I like the doctor. I, I can't remember his name, but I, I like the doctor character a lot. Yeah. His name was Jay, Jay something, Dr. Jay. Yeah. yeah. I like his background and the president visits his funeral. Yes. That was cool right. Too. Right. Yeah. There's there's some cool little chapters like that, you know, sort of that are standalone in the sense that you know we we're only we only go there once, we only meet these people once that really stand out, especially with the writing of that chapter. And you get the sense of this like terror and how it could go. My whole thing is like I think if Ali's attack had continued and he had been successful in deploying this aerosol device 
you know, more strategically or more spread out or like, you know, I'd begun to, and also her point, the fact that if this one plane did go from Angola to Johannesburg to, to Britain and, or Germany, no one and else then is here, there's no outbreaks overseas. Yeah. yeah. So like immediately that's just sends a red flags and like, all right, we need to, let's pause, regroup. Let's think about this. What are some other possibilities? No one realized that before we start blowing up. I do like how they talk about the Russians using an FAE on a village to, pre- to prevent a spread because that actually happens. And right. I, I just I, I, I get if your idea is I heard the Russians did this once. I want to make a thriller novel out of it. Great. But I don't think you have to do this one to one. The Russians did it once. Can you imagine if we had to do it to our own cities? And like you're so dead set on that, like taking that example and saying, what if it happened here that you don't actually have a storyline that works? You know, like it's cool when authors do those kinds of things, but it still has to work in the universe and yeah. be realistic. And nothing about this ta- this attack rang rang true to me and how it was being analyzed and dealt with and thoroughly handled. All right, let, let me pose this question, Michael. What if, let's say the virus, what if Jack had written that the virus, they were somehow able to make it, essentially make the most deadly, you know, if you turn a hemorrhagic fever, turn an Ebola-like virus in and had, give it the permissibility, spreadability of like a COVID-19, it literally is the greatest killer ever. Yeah. I'd be scared what shitless. If, what if Jack had written a story like that and like James, James was had to stop it. You know, I, I don't know how you stop it. And that, and that point we are getting into this uh, more science fiction type thing. I think I would have liked it way more. If you literally just had Ali and his team or whoever else the terrorists are, because honestly they confuse me too. And they all get jumbled up, which I think is a problem on another level. If, if somehow they either contracted or co-opted or had someone who was so good at science who made that for them, or they, they hijacked some sort of research lab or were secretly infiltrating it or whatever, and they had a way to make the disease exactly what pe- keep people like you and me up at night, you know, thinking what COVID could have been or what Kyle Mills has told us, you know, this next one's coming. This, this was not it. There's a bigger one. If it was that, I would have liked this book more. Instead of terrorists trying to fake it and then pulling the wool over our eyes so freaking easily to the point where we blow ourselves up over it. You know, I would have rather had a real life attack that could have happened that way, that maybe was happening that way. And then when the hero steps in to solve it or contain it, even better. But I think that would have been a better story. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It just, I, I agree with you. It's like, oh, this is a cool idea. Let me figure out a way to work that into the book. But if you honestly, I'm not supposed to bring you guys down. You're supposed to bring me up. So sorry. (laughs) But if you get rid of this like threat of, I mean, just the fact that there's this Ebola virus, you know, on U.S. soil that's like killing a lot of people. It's blood contact. It doesn't matter. No, but he was able to air. He was able to aerosolize it. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. If he had had like a bigger cell. That you got to go to HVAC systems then in a skyscraper or something like, you know, you have to do something more believable than spray it in a mall food court. Yeah, And they, they had like, they had like, let's say they had a hundred different cells, right? A hundred different cities okay, across, that been across the United States that deposited this both at hospitals and in yeah. shopping malls all at once. And you're like, holy shit. And then we're ramping it up again. You have, you'd have to hit, you'd have to hit other countries because you know yeah. it wouldn't make sense that's not but, a cell anymore that's an army of people yeah true and you're you're making a whole different story mike so, no yeah. I, I think you got to go there though i think spraying it in a few cities at a couple of malls or whatever 
and you all of a sudden from that jump to this thing's going to kill 90% of our country does not make any complete sense. But if you have 30, 40, 50 major of your cities hit at once with a couple hundred to a couple thousand in the hospitals, you know, raise the alarms. Like, what the hell is going on? A couple of cities because it was sprayed in a mall. I think I prefer it being a trick rather than real, because I think if it's if it's real, like, come on, this is James, this is James Reese. Like, I understand he's he's the action hero. He's the main character. But if it's real. He's going to need more than this CDC chick to make yeah, it happen. Yeah, no, he'd, whereas, he'd whereas need like someone to come up with a vaccine, right? If it's, so, a tr- if it's a trick, not only can can he out him with the help of of his of his people, you know, he kind of outsmarts them or at least figures out the mystery. That's another thing I like, especially about the first book, is that there's a mystery aspect to it. Once he figures it out, then it's like game on, and he can like he can kind of outsmart them, but he can definitely outfight them every time so i think it being a trick it needs to stay a trick i think if it goes real i think it's above james reese's head a bit all right i buy that i buy that okay okay it was a weak trick (laughs) (laughs) although let me give you this angle on it the trick part was good in the sense that it drove a wedge between people in our society you know, the way social media, we're tearing ourselves apart. Conspiracy yeah. theories, so, yeah. So if the terrorists do hit us with a trick that in the end is not that deadly, but that wasn't its intent, its intent was to further divide the nation, yeah. you know, based on bullshit. I'm okay with that angle of it. I and So here's one of my favorite, you know, I got the quotes, one of my favorite quotes <laughs> from the book, which if this was explored just a little more, I agree with you, the whole trick aspect of the terrorist, you know, pulling one on us could have worked where you turn our greatest strength against us, and that's the freedom of speech. And so Ali says, quote, Ali loved the power of a free press. Its power was amplified when everyone had a voice. Theories without a foundation in facts or basis in reality could take flight and go viral. No barriers to entry, no editors, no fact-checking. Or if there was fact-checking, it couldn't be trusted. Fact-checkers had biases and agendas too, after all. The loudest voices dominated the chaos, that was social media hysteria, and all of it contributed to the chaos. Suppression and censorship only fueled the flames. I think if you lean into that angle, you lean into the protesters instead of just, oh, uh, Reese and whoever is driving an SUV through a protest that just happens to stop them, and they run over some people, and they're getting shot at, and they get out of this protest. If you, if you moved into those protests nearly causing a civil war, or if, or even so much as some fake news about this goes so viral that people start doing ridiculously crazy stuff around the country. You know, it was kind of cool when the tanks were standing off against the population and the people weren't going to stand for the containment any longer. Yeah. And like, were we going to have to mow down a line of protesters who were simply people saying, I have the right to leave my city or go around my city or be where I want to be? And that was really cool, but it was a short snippet. The free press. Have you thing seen here, The Last of Us? No. Yes. I want to. Oh, it's so good. I've heard. I love. I love the games, and uh, the show is incredible so far. Yeah, yeah, I was, was actually, Chris. After we were done recording, I was going to ask if you had watched it. No, definitely watch The Last of Us, Mike. And we we can talk. But okay, can't we lean into that kind of stuff here, though? Or even like what Kyle Mills did. He had that podcaster Jed in Total Power, basically 
narrating people using social media and podcasts through a crisis. And he was the voice that the people listened to, not the government. And so we're leaning into too many angles here that get drowned out when they were really cool concepts. They come off as half-baked. Yeah, I think like maybe if we had had a little bit more diving into the chaos, kind of like, you know, we enjoyed, you know, like what you said, Tyler, you enjoyed that chapter with the doctor in Texas. If we had had, you know, maybe like a family in Aurora, you know, or, you know, someone in Atlanta as they're like, you know, going into a house or even like getting the perspective of, of someone who's a neighbor of that guy, of um, the guy in Denver, right. Who's seeing James walk up in a hazmat suit to, to this house, right. To, yes. And then ha- comes out with a bloody guy in a hazmat suit. It gives a little bit more weightiness. And like you said, at the very beginning, you could see this novel, would be a really good visually, you know, visual medium to like play out some of these themes. I'll agree with you, Mike, that that scene where he has to drive through the mob and his, the CIA driver ends up dying. That that was a weird scene to me. Like just, it it felt a little out of place. I I agree. Um, It was just there because of 2020. It was relevant at the time. So let me throw it in. Like, Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And Jack did some really good things on like Fox News and whatnot, talking about how to protect yourself and your family in a protest. So the fact that he could write about that in a thriller and we could hear from his point of view what the characters would need to do is amazing. Just why there? It just didn't work at the time and place for me. Yeah, I I agree. It's a little out of place. All right. Thank you guys for checking out our podcast on the devil's hand you know maybe you're like a tyler maybe you're like a mike or maybe you're like me just in the middle you know (laughs) the goldilocks the apostle on brad thorpod and sleeping bear by connor sullivan on this pod all right yeah go go check those out get ready do your homework do your homework people yeah those will be our next two books we'll be covering between now and and hopefully the the first part of february a lot of reading we got to do here chris yes all right we need to thank our patrons our special operator sherry f our special agents daryl kevin george matt don dennis peggy Catherine, ray bridget jeff and mark please subscribe rate and review using your favorite podcasting platform you can find us online at thriller podcast or on our website at thrillerpod.com and as always slow is smooth smooth as fast.